Section 36 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. It will be seen, on reference to the preceding table, that the quantity of street refuse collected in dry weather throughout the metropolis is between 300 and 400 cartloads daily, or upwards of 100,000 cartloads, the greater portion of which may be termed street dust. The damage occasioned by the street dust arises from its penetrating, before removal, the atmosphere both without and within our houses, and consists in the soiling of wearing apparel, the injury of the stock-in-trade of shopkeepers, and of household furniture. Washing is, of course, dependent upon the duration of time in which it is proper, in the estimation of the several classes of society, to retain wearing apparel upon the person, on the bed or the table, without what is termed a change. And this duration of time with thousands of both men and women is often determined by the presence or absence of dirt on the garment, and not arbitrarily, as among wealthier people, with whom a clean shirt every morning and a clean tablecloth every one, two, three or more days, as may happen, are regarded as things of course, no matter what may be the state of the displaced linen. The Board of Health, in one of their reports, speak very decisively and definitely on this subject. Common observation of the rate at which the skin, linen and clothes, not to speak of paper, books, prints and furniture, become dirty in the metropolis, say they, as compared with the time that elapses before a proportionate amount of deterioration and uncleanliness is communicated in the rural districts, will warrant the estimate that full one-half the expense of washing to maintain a passable degree of cleanliness is rendered necessary by the excess of smoke generated in open fires and the excess of dust arising from the imperfect scavenging of the roads and streets. Persons engaged in washing linen on a large scale state that it is dirtied in the crowded parts of the metropolis in one-third the time in which the like degree of uncleanliness would be produced in a rural district, but all attest the fact that linen is more rapidly destroyed by washing than by the wear on the person. The expense of the more rapid destruction of linen must be added to the extra expense of washing. These expenses and inconveniences, the greater portion of which are due to local maladministration, occasion an extra expenditure of upwards of two to three millions per annum, exclusive of the injury done to the general health and the medical and other expenses consequent thereon. Here, then, we find the evil effects of the imperfect scavenging of the metropolis estimated at between two and three millions sterling per annum, and this in the mere matter of extra washing, and its necessary concomitant extra wear and tear of clothes. As this estimate, however, appears to me to exaggerate the evil beyond all due bounds, I will proceed to adduce a few facts bearing upon the point, and first as to the expense of washing. In order to ascertain as accurately as possible the actual washing expenses of labouring men and their families, whose washing was done at home. Mr. John Buller, the Honorary Secretary to the Association for the Promotion of Baths and Washhouses, tells us in a report presented to Parliament, quote, that inquiries were made of several hundred families of labouring men, and it was found that, taking the wife's labour as worth five shillings a week, the total cost of washing at home for a man and wife and four children averaged very closely on two shillings sixpence a week, equal to five pence a head. The cost of coals, soda, soap, starch, blue, and sometimes water, was rather less than one-third of the amount. The time occupied was rarely less than two days, and more often extended into a third day, so that the value of the labour was rather more than two-thirds of the amount. The cost of washing to single men among the labouring classes, whose washing expenditure might be expected to be on a very low scale, such as hodmen and street sweepers, was found to be fourpence halfpenny a head. The cost of washing to very small tradesmen 
could not be safely estimated at much more than sixpence a head a week. It may perhaps, continues the report, be safe to reckon the weekly washing expenses of the poorer half of the inhabitants of the metropolis at not exceeding sixpence a head, but the expenditure for washing rapidly increases as the inquiry ascends into what are called the middle classes. The washing expenses of families in which servants are employed may be considered as double that of the servants, and therefore as ranging from one shilling sixpence to five shillings a week ahead. There is considerable difficulty in ascertaining with any exactness the washing expenditure of private families, but the conclusion is that, taking the whole population, the washing bills of London are nearly one shilling a week ahead, or five million pounds a year. Of course, adds Mr. Buller, I give this as but a rough estimate, and many exceptions may easily be taken to it, but I feel pretty confident that it is not very far from the truth. End quote. As I before stated, I am in no way disposed to go to the extent of the calculation here made. It appears to me that in parliamentary investigations, by the agency of select committees, or by gentlemen appointed to report on any subject, there is an aptitude to deal with the whole body of the people as if they were earning the wages of well and regularly employed labourers, or even mechanics. To suppose that the starving ballast heaver, the victim of a vicious truck system which condemns him to poverty and drunkenness, or the sweep, or the dustman, or the street seller, all very numerous classes, expends one shilling a week in his washing is far beyond the fact. Still less is expended in the washing of these people's children. Even the well-conducted artisan, with two clean shirts a week, costing him sixpence, with the washing of stockings and so on, costing a penny or tuppence, does not expend one shilling a week, so that, though the washing bills of many ladies and of some gentlemen may average ten shillings weekly, if we consider how few are rich and how many poor, the extra payment seems insufficient to make up the average of the weekly shilling for the washing of all classes. A prosperous and respectable master greengrocer, who was what may be called particular in his dress, as he had been a gentleman's servant, and was now in the habit of waiting upon the wealthy persons in his neighbourhood, told me that the following was the average of his washing bill. He was a bachelor, all his washing was put out, and he considered his expenditure far above the average of his class, as many used no nightshirt, but slept in the shirts they wore during the day, and paid only threepence or even less per shirt to their washerwomen, and perhaps, and more especially in winter, made one shirt last the week. Two shirts per week, sevenpence, stockings, a penny, nightshirt, worn two weeks generally, average per week, three farthings, sheets, blankets, and other household linens or woollens, tuppence, handkerchiefs, a farthing, total, elevenpence. My informant was satisfied that he had put his expenditure at the highest. I also ascertained that an industrious wife who was able to attend to her household matters could wash the clothes of a small tradesman's family. For a man, his wife, and four small children, well, at the following rate, one pound of soap, fourpence halfpenny or fivepence, soda and starch, a halfpenny, a quarter hundredweight of coals, extra, threepence halfpenny, total eightpence halfpenny, or less than a penny halfpenny per head. In this calculation it will be seen the cheapest soap is reckoned, and that there is no allowance for the wife's labour. When I pointed out the latter circumstance, my informant said, I look on it that the washing labour is part of the wife's keep, or what she gives in return for it, and that as she'd have to be kept if she didn't do it, why, there shouldn't be no mention of it. If she was working for others, it would be quite different. But washing is a family matter. That's my way of looking at it. Coke, too, is often used instead of coals. Besides, a bit of bacon or potatoes or the tea kettle will have to be boiled, and that's managed along with the hot water for the suds, and would have to be done anyhow, especially in winter. One decent woman, who had five children, all under eight, 
told me she often sat up half and sometimes the whole night to wash, when busy other ways. She was not in poverty, for she earned a good bit in going out to cook, and her husband was employed by a pork butcher. I may further add that a great many single men wash their own clothes. Many of the street sellers in particular do this. So do such of the poor as live in their own rooms, and occasionally the dwellers in the low lodging houses. One street seller of ham sandwiches, whose aprons, sleeves and tray cloth were remarkably white, told me that he washed them himself, as well as his shirt and so on, and that it was the common practice with his class. This washing, his aprons, tray cloths, shirts and stockings included, cost him every three weeks, fourpence and a farthing, or fivepence for one pound of soap, which is less than a penny halfpenny a week. Among such people, it is considered that the washing of a shirt is, as they say, a pennorth of soap, and the stockings in, meaning that a penny outlay is sufficient to wash for both. But not only does Mr. Buller's estimate exceed the truth as regards the cost of washing among the poorer classes, but it also errs in the proportion they are said to bear to the other ranks of society. That gentleman speaks of the poorer half of the inhabitants of the metropolis, as if the rich and poor were equal in numbers. But with all deference, it will be found that the ratio between the well-to-do and the needy is as one to two. That is to say, the property and income tax returns teach us there are at least two persons with an income below £150 per annum to every one having an income above it. Hence, the population of London being within a fraction 2,400,000, the numbers of the metropolitan well-to-do and needy would be respectively 800,000 and 1,600,000, and allowing the cost of the washing of the former to average one shilling per head, adults and children, and the washing of the labouring classes to come to tuppence a head, young and old, the expense of the materials, when the work is done at home, average it has been shown about a penny halfpenny for each member of the family, we shall then have the following statement. Annual cost of washing for 800,000 people at one shilling per head per week, £2,080,000. Annual cost of washing for 1,600,000 people at tuppence per head per week, £693,333. Total cost of washing of Metropolis, £2,773,333. I am convinced, low as the estimate of tuppence a week may appear for all whose incomes are under £150 a year, from many considerations that the above computation is rather over than under the truth. As, for instance, Mr. Hawes has said, concerning the consumption of soap in the metropolis, quote, Careful inquiry has proved that the quantity used is much greater than that indicated by the excise returns but reducing the results obtained by inquiry in one uniform proportion, the quantity used by the labouring classes, earning from 10 shillings to 30 shillings per week, is £10 weight each per annum, including every member of the family. Dividing the population of the metropolis into three classes, one, the wealthy, two, the shopkeepers and tradesmen, three, labourers and the poor, and allowing £15, £10 and £4 weight to each respectively, the consumption of the metropolis will be nearly 200 tonnes per week. End quote. The cost of each tonne of soap, Mr Hawes estimates, at £45. Professor Clark, however, computes the metropolitan consumption of soap at 250 tonnes per week, and the cost per tonne at £50. According to the above estimates, the total quantity of soap used every year in the metropolis is 12,000 tonnes, and this at £50 per tonne comes to £600,000. Professor Clark reckons the gross consumption of soda in the metropolis at 250 tonnes per month, costing £10 a tonne. Hence, for the year, the consumption will be 3,000 tonnes, costing £30,000. The cost of water, according to the same authority, is three shillings fourpence per head per annum, and this for the whole metropolis amounts to four hundred thousand pounds.
estimating the cost of the coals used in heating the water to be equal to that of the soap, we have for the gross expense of fuel annually consumed in washing £600,000. There are 21,000 laundresses in London, and calculating that the wages of these average 10 shillings a week each, all the year round, the gross sum paid to them would be in round numbers £550,000. Profit of employers, say £550,000, add for sundries, as starch and so on, £50,000, total cost of washing of metropolis, £2,780,000. Hence it would appear that, viewed either by the individual expense of the great bulk of society, or else by the aggregate cost of the materials and labour used in cleansing the clothes of the people of London, the total sum annually expended in the washing of the metropolis may be estimated at the outside at two millions and three quarters sterling per annum, or about one pound three shillings fourpence per head. And yet, though the data for the calculation here given as to the cost and quantity of the principal materials used in cleansing the clothes of London are derived from the same report as that in which the expense of the metropolitan washing is estimated at £5 million per annum, the Board of Health do not hesitate in that document to say that, quote, of the fairness of the estimate of the expense of washing to the higher and middle classes, and to the great bulk of the householders and the better class of artisans, we entertain no doubt whatever. Whatsoever deductions, if any, may be made from the above estimate, it is nevertheless an underestimate for maintaining at the present expense of washing a proper amount of cleanliness in linen. End quote. Proceeding, however, with the calculation as to the loss from the imperfect scavenging of the metropolis, we have the following results. Loss from dust and dirt in the streets of the metropolis owing to the extra washing entailed thereby. According to the Board of Health, taking the yearly amount of the washing of the metropolis at £5 million, and assuming the washing to be doubled by street dirt, the loss will be £2,500,000. Calculating the washing, however, for reasons above adduced, to be only £2,750,000, and to be as much again as it might be under an improved system of scavenging, the loss will be £1,375,000. Or calculating as a minimum that the remedial loss is less than one-half, the cost is £1,000,000. Hence it would appear that the loss from dust and dirt is really enormous. In a work entitled Sanitary Progress, being the fifth report of the National Philanthropic Association, I find a calculation as to the losses sustained from dust and dirt upon our clothes, owing to the increased wear from daily brushing to remove the dust, and occasional scraping to remove the mud, the loss is estimated at from £3 to £7 per annum for each well-dressed man and woman, and £1 for inferiorly dressed persons, including their Sunday and holiday clothing. I inquired of a West End tailor, who previously to his establishment in business had himself been an operative, and had had experience both in town and country as to the wear of clothes, and I learned from him the following particulars. With regard to the clothes of the wealthy classes, of those who could always command a carriage in bad weather, there are no means of judging as to the loss caused by bad scavengery. My informant, however, obliged me with the following calculations, the results of his experience. His trade is what I may describe as a medium business, between the low slop and the high fashionable trades. The garments of which he spoke were those worn by clerks, shopmen, students, tradesmen, town travellers, and others not engaged in menial and handicraft labour. Altogether, and after consulting his books relative to town and country customers, my informant thought it might be easy to substantiate the following estimate as regards the duration and cost of clothes in town and country among the classes I have specified. Table showing the comparative cost of clothes worn in town and country. Coat, original cost £2.10. In town, duration 2 years, 
Annual cost, £1.5. In country, duration, three years. Annual cost, 16 shillings, 8 pence. Difference of cost, 8 shillings, 4 pence. Waistcoat, original cost, 15 shillings. In town, duration, two and a half years. Annual cost, 6 shillings. In country, duration, three years. Annual cost, 5 shillings. Difference of cost, 1 shilling. Trousers, original cost, 1 pound, 5 shillings. In town, duration, one and a quarter years. Annual cost, one pound. In the country, duration, two years. Annual cost, 12 shillings, sixpence. Difference of cost, seven shillings, sixpence. Total suit, original cost, four pounds, 10 shillings. In town, annual cost, two pounds, 11 shillings. In the country, annual cost, one pound, 14 shillings and tuppence. Difference of cost, 16 shillings, 10 pence. Here then it appears that the annual outlay for clothes in town by the classes I have specified is about 2 pounds, 11 shillings, while the annual outlay in the country for the same garments is 1 pound, 14 shillings and tuppence, the difference of expense being 16 shillings, 10 pence per annum. I consulted another tailor on the subject, and his estimate was a trifle above that of my informant. I should remark that the proportion thus adduced holds, whatever be the number of garments worn in the year, or in a series of years, for the calculation was made not as to individual garments, but as to the general wear, evinced by the average outlay, as shown in the tradesmen's books, of the same class of persons in town and country. In the calculation given in the publication of the National Philanthropic Association, the loss on a well-dressed Londoner's clothing, arising from excessive dust and dirt, is estimated at from £3 to £7 per annum. By the above table, it will be seen that the clothes which cost £1, 14 shillings and twopence per annum in the cleanliness of a country abode, cost £2, 11 shillings, or within a fraction, half as much again, in the uncleanliness of a London atmosphere and roads. If, therefore, any London inhabitant of the classes I have specified expend four times £2.11 shillings in his clothes yearly, as many do, or £10.04 shillings, he loses £3.05 shillings and fourpence, or five shillings fourpence more than the minimum mentioned in the report alluded to. Now, estimating £2.10 shillings as the yearly tailor's bill among the well-to-do, boys and men, and calculating that one-sixth of the metropolitan population, that is, half of the one-third who may be said to belong to the class, having incomes above £150 a year, spend this sum yearly in clothes, we have the following statement. Aggregate loss upon clothes worn in London. 400,000 persons living in London expend in clothing at £2.10 shillings per annum, £1 million. 400,000 persons living in better atmospheres in rural parts and with the same stock of clothes expend one-third less, or £666,666.13 shillings, fourpence. Difference... Three hundred and thirty three thousand three hundred and thirty three pounds six shillings and eightpence. It would be pushing the inquiry to exceeding minuteness were I to enter into calculations as to the comparative expenses of boots, hats, and ladies' dresses worn in town and country. Suffice it that competent persons in each of the vestuary trades have been seen, and averages drawn for the accounts of their town and country customers. All things, then, being duly considered, the following conclusion would seem to be warranted by the facts. Annual cost of clothes to 800,000 of the metropolitan population, those belonging to the class who have incomes above £150 per annum, at £4 per year each, £3,200,000. Annual cost of clothes to 1,600,000 of the metropolitan population, those belonging to the class who have incomes below £150 per annum, at £1 per year each, £1,600,000. Totaling 
£4,800,000. Annual cost of the same clothes, if worn in the country, £3,600,000. Extra expense annually entailed by dust and dirt of Metropolis, £1,200,000. In the above estimate, I have included the cost of wear and tear of linen from extra washing when worn in London, and this has been stated on the authority of the Board of Health to be double that of linen worn in the country. In connection with this subject, I may cite the following curious calculation taken from a parliamentary report as to the cost of a working man's new shirt, comprising four yards of strong calico. Material, cotton at sixpence per pound, one and a quarter pounds with loss thereupon, eightpence and a farthing. Manufacture, spinning, two pennies and a farthing, weaving, threepence, profit, farthing, total manufacture, fivepence halfpenny, total cost of shirt, thirteen pence, three farthings, bleaching, about a penny farthing, total, fifteen pence, grey, calico, thirteen pence, three farthings, plus nine pence in making, equal to one shilling, ten pence, and three farthings, bleached, fifteen pence, plus nine pence in making, equal to two shillings. As regards the loss and damage occasioned by the injury to household furniture and decorations, and to stocks in trade, which is another important consideration connected with this subject, I find the following statement in the report of the Philanthropic Institution. Quote, the loss by goods and furniture is incalculable. Shopkeepers lose from £10 to £150 a year by the spoiling of their goods for sale. Dealers in provisions especially, who cannot expose them without being deteriorated in value from the dust that is incessantly settling upon them. Nor is it much better with clothiers of all kinds. Mr. Holmes, shawl merchant in Regent Street, has stated that his losses from road dust alone exceed £150 per annum. In a communication with Mr. Mivert, respecting the expenses of mud and road dust to him, that gentleman stated that the rent of the four houses of which his hotel is composed was £896, and that he could not, considering the cost of cleaning and servants, estimate the expense of repairing the damage done by the dirt and dust, carried and blown into these houses, at a less annual sum than that of his rent. End quote. An upholsterer obliged me with the following calculations, but so many were the materials, and so different the rates of wear, or the liability to injury, in different materials in his trade, that he could only calculate generally. The same quality, colour, and pattern of curtains, silk damasks, which he had furnished to a house in town, and to a country house belonging to the same gentleman, looked far fresher and better after five years' wear in the country than after three in town. Both windows had a southern aspect, but the occupant would have his windows partially open unless the weather was cold, foggy, or rainy. It was the same, or nearly the same, he thought, with the carpets on the two places, for London dust was highly injurious to all the better qualities of carpets. He was satisfied also it was the same generally in upholstery work subjected to town dust. I inquired at several West End and City shops, and of different descriptions of tradesmen, of the injury done to their shop and shop window goods by the dust, but I found none who had made any calculations on the subject. All, however, agreed that the dust was an excessive annoyance, and entailed great expense. A lady's shoemaker and a bookseller expressed this particularly, on the necessity of making the window a sort of small glass house to exclude the dust, which, after all, was not sufficiently excluded. All thought, or with but one hesitating exception, that the estimation as to the loss sustained by the Messrs. Holmes, considering the extent of their premises and the richness of the goods displayed in the windows and so on, was not in excess. I can then but indicate the injury to household furniture and stock in trade as a corroboration of all that has been advanced touching the damaging effects of road dirt. Of the horse dung of the streets of London. Quote, 
Familiarity with streets of crowded traffic deadens the senses to the perception of their actual condition. Strangers coming from the country frequently describe the streets of London as smelling of dung like a stable-yard. Such is one of the statements in a report submitted to Parliament, and there is no reason to doubt the fact. Every English visitor to a French city, for instance, must have detected street odours of which the inhabitants were utterly unconscious. In a work which between twenty and thirty years ago was deservedly popular, Matthew's Diary of an Invalid, it is mentioned that an English lady complaining of the villainous rankness of the air in the first French town she entered, Calais, if I remember rightly, received the comfortable assurance, It is the smell of the continent, ma'am. Even in Cologne itself, the most stinking city of Europe, as it has been termed, the citizens are insensible to the foul airs of their streets, and yet possess great skill in manufacturing perfumed and distilled waters for the toilet, pluming themselves on the delicacy and discrimination of their nasal organs. What we perceive in other cities as strangers, those who visit London detect in our streets, that they smell of dung like stable-yards. It is idle for London denizens, because they are unconscious of the fact, to deny the existence of any such effluvia. I have met with nightmen who have told me that there was nothing particular in the smell of the cesspools they were emptying. They hardly perceived it. One man said, Why, it's like the sort of stuff I've smelt in them ladies' smelling bottles. An eminent tallow-melter said in the course of his evidence before Parliament, during a sanitary inquiry, that the smell from the tallow-melting on his premises was not only healthful and reviving, for invalids came to inhale it, but agreeable. I mention these facts to meet the scepticism which the official assertion as to the stable-like odour of the streets may perhaps provoke. When, however, I state the quantity of horse-dung and cattle-droppings voided in the streets, all incredulity, I doubt not, will be removed. It has been ascertained, says the report of the National Philanthropic Association, that four-fifths of the street dirt consist of horse and cattle droppings. Let us therefore endeavour to arrive at definite notions as to the absolute quantity of this element of street dirt. And first as to the number of cattle and horses traversing the streets of London. In the course of an inquiry in November 1850 into Smithfield Market, I adduced the following results as to the number of cattle entering the metropolis, deriving the information from the experience of Mr. Deputy Hicks, confirmed by returns to Parliament, by the amount of tolls, and further ratified by the opinion of some of the most experienced live salesmen and dead salesmen, sellers on commission of live and dead cattle, whose assistance I had the pleasure of obtaining. The return is of the stock annually sold in Smithfield Market, and includes not only English, but foreign beasts, sheep and calves, the latter averaging weekly in 1848, the latest return then published, beasts 590, sheep 2470, and calves 248. 224,000 horned cattle, 1,550,000 sheep, 27,300 calves, 40,000 pigs, total 1,841,300. I may remark that this is not a criterion of the consumption of animal food in the metropolis, for there are, besides the above, the daily supplies from the country to the dead salesmen. The preceding return, however, is sufficient for my present purpose, which is to show the quantity of cattle manure dropped in London. The number of cattle entering the metropolis, then, are 1,841,300 per annum. The number of horses daily traversing the metropolis has been already set forth, by a return obtained by Mr. Charles Cochrane from the Stamp and Tax Office, we have seen that there are altogether, in London and Westminster, of private carriage, job and cart horses, 10,022, cab horses, 5,692, omnibus horses, 5,500, horses daily coming to Metropolis, 3,000, total number of horses daily in London, 
24,214. The total here given includes the returns of horses which were either taxed or the property of those who employ them in hackney carriages in the metropolis. But the whole of these 24,214 horses are not at work in the streets every day. Perhaps it might be an approximation to the truth if we reckoned five-sixths of the horses as being worked regularly in the public thoroughfares, so that we arrive at the conclusion that 20,000 horses are daily worked in the metropolis, and hence we have an aggregate of 7,300,000 horses traversing the streets of London in the twelve-month. The beasts, sheep, calves and pigs driven and conveyed to and from Smithfield are, we have seen, 1,841,300 in number. These, added together, make up a total of 9,141,300 animals, appearing annually in the London thoroughfares. The circumstance of Smithfield cattle market being held but twice a week in no way detracts from the amount here given, for as the gross number of individual cattle coming to that market in the course of the year is given, each animal is estimated as appearing only once in the metropolis. The next point for consideration is, what is the quantity of dung dropped by each of the above animals while in the public thoroughfares? Concerning the quantity of excretions passed by a horse in the course of 24 hours, there have been some valuable experiments made by philosophers whose names alone are a sufficient guarantee for the accuracy of their researches. The following table from Bussingault's experiments is copied from the Annales de Chimie et de Physique, table 71. Food consumed by and excretions off a horse in 24 hours. Food. Hay. Weight in a fresh state. 7,500 grams or 20 pounds. Oats. 2,270 grams or 6 pounds 1 ounce. Total 9,770 grams, or 26 pounds 1 ounce. Water 16,000 grams, or 42 pounds 10 ounces. Total 25,770 grams, or 68 pounds 11 ounces. Excretions Excrements Weight in a fresh state 14,250 grams, or 38 pounds 2 ounces. Urine, 1,330 grams, or 3 pounds 7 ounces. Total, 15,580 grams, or 41 pounds 9 ounces. Here it will be seen that the quantity of solid food given to the horse in the course of the 24 hours amounted only to 26 pounds whereas it is stated in the report of the National Philanthropic Association on the authority of the veterinary surgeon to the lifeguards that the regulation horse rations in all cavalry regiments is £30 of solid food, namely £10 of oats, £12 of hay, together with £8 of straw, for the horse to lie upon and munch at his leisure. This quantity of solid food with five gallons of water is considered sufficient, we are told, for all regimental horses who have but little work to perform in comparison with the draft horses of the metropolis, many of which consume daily 35 pounds and upwards of solid food with at least six gallons of water. At a conference held with the secretary and professors of the veterinary college in College Street, Camden Town, continues the report, those gentlemen kindly undertook to institute a series of experiments in this department of equine physiology, the subject being one which interested themselves professionally, as well as the Council of the National Philanthropic Association. The experiments were carefully conducted under the superintendence of Professor Varnell. The food, drink and voidances of several horses, kept in stable all day long, were separately weighed and measured, and the following were the results with an animal of medium size and sound health. Royal Veterinary College, September 29, 1849. Brown horse of middle size ate in 24 hours of hay, 16 pounds, oats, 10 pounds, chaff, 4 pounds, in all 30 pounds. 
drank of water in 24 hours, 6 gallons or 48 pounds. Total, 78 pounds. Voided in the form of faeces, 49 pounds. Allowance for nutrition, supply of waste in system, perspiration and urine, 29 pounds. Signed, George Varnell, Demonstrator of Anatomy. Here we find the excretions to be 11 pounds more than those of the French horse experimented upon by Monsieur Bossingot. But then the solid food given to the English horse was four pounds more, and the liquid upwards of seven pounds extra. We may then perhaps assume, without fear of erring, that the excrements voided by horses in the course of twenty-four hours weigh at the least forty-five pounds. Hence the gross quantity of dung produced by the seven million three hundred thousand horses which traverse the London streets in the course of the twelve month will be seven million three hundred thousand times forty-five, or three hundred and twenty-eight million five hundred thousand pounds, which is upwards of one hundred and forty-six thousand six hundred and fifty-one tons. But these horses cannot be said to be at work above six hours each day. We must therefore divide the above quantity by four, and thus we find that there are thirty-six thousand six hundred and sixty-two tons of horse dung annually dropped in the streets of London. I am informed on good authority that the evacuations of an ox in twenty-four hours will on the average exceed those of a horse in weight by about a fifteenth, while if the ox be disturbed by being driven, the excretions will exceed the horses by about a twelfth. As the oxen are not driven in the streets, or detained in the market for so long a period as horses are out at work, it may be fair to compute that their droppings are about the same individually as those of the horses. Hence, as there are 224,000 horned cattle yearly brought to London, we have 224,000 times 45 pounds weight, equal to 10 million and 80,000 pounds, or 4,500 tons, for the gross quantity of ordure dropped by this number of animals in the course of 24 hours, so that dividing by four as before, we find that there are 1,125 tons of ordure annually dropped by the horned cattle in the streets of London. Concerning the sheep, I am told that it may be computed that the ordure of five sheep is about equal in weight to that of two oxen. As regards the other animals, it may be said that their droppings are insignificant, the pigs and calves being very generally carted to and from the market, as indeed are some of the fatter and more valuable sheep and lambs. All these facts being taken into consideration, I am told by a regular frequenter of Smithfield Market that it will be best to calculate the droppings of each of the 1,617,300 sheep, calves and pigs yearly coming to the metropolis at about one-fourth of those of the horned cattle, so that multiplying 1,617,300 by 10 instead of 45, we have 16,173,000 pounds or 7,220 tons for the weight of ordure deposited by the entire number of sheep, calves and pigs annually brought to the metropolis and then dividing this by four, as usual, we find that the droppings of the calves, sheep and pigs in the streets of London amount to 1,805 tons per annum. Now putting together all the preceding items, we obtain the following results. Gross weight of the horse dung and cattle droppings annually deposited in the streets of London. Horse dung, 36,662 tons. Droppings of horned cattle, 1,125 tons. Droppings of sheep, calves and pigs, 1,805 tons. Total, 39,592 tons. Hence we perceive that the gross weight of animal excretions dropped in the public thoroughfares of the metropolis is about 40,000 tons per annum, or in round numbers, 770 tons every weekday say 100 tons a day. This, I am well aware, is a low estimate, but it appears to me that the facts will not warrant any other conclusion. 
and yet the Board of Health, who seem to delight in large estimates, represent the amount of animal manure deposited in the streets of London at no less than 200,000 tonnes per annum. Between the quadrant in Regent Street and Oxford Street, says the first report on the supply of water to the metropolis, a distance of a third of a mile, three loads on the average of dirt, almost all horse dung, are removed daily. On an estimate made from the working of the street-sweeping machine in one quarter of the city of London, which includes lines of considerable traffic, the quantity of dung dropped must be upwards of 60 tonnes, or about 20,000 tonnes per annum, and this on a city district, which comprises about one-twentieth only of the covered area of the metropolis, though within that area there is the greatest proportionate amount of traffic. Though the data are extremely imperfect, it is considered that the horse dung which falls in the streets of the whole metropolis cannot be less than 200,000 tonnes a year. Hence, although the data is imperfect, the Board of Health do not hesitate to conclude that the gross quantity of horse dung dropped throughout every part of London, back streets and all, are equal to one half of that let fall in the greatest London thoroughfares. According to this estimate, all and every of the 24,000 London horses must void, in the course of the six hours that they are at work in the streets, not less than 51 pounds of excrement, which is at the rate of very nearly 200 weight in the course of the day, or voiding all 49 pounds in the 24 hours, they must remain out altogether and never return to the stable for rest. Mr. Cochrane is far less hazardous than the Board of Health, and appears to me to arrive at his result in a more scientific and conclusive manner. He goes first to the stamp office to ascertain the number of horses in the metropolis, and then requests the professors of the veterinary college to estimate the average quantity of excretions produced by a horse in the course of 24 hours. All this accords with the soundest principles of inquiry, and stands out in startling contrast with the unphilosophical plan pursued by the Board of Health, who obtain the result of the most crowded thoroughfare, and then, having this, frame an exaggerated estimate for the whole of the metropolis. But Mr. Cochrane himself appears to me to exceed that just caution which is so necessary in all statistical calculations. Having ascertained that a horse voids 49 pounds of dung in the course of 24 hours, he makes the whole of the 24,214 horses in the metropolis drop 30 pounds daily in the streets, so that, according to his estimate, not only must every horse in London be out every day, but he must be at work in the public thoroughfares for very nearly 15 hours out of the 24. The following is the estimate made by Mr. Cochrane. Daily weight of manure deposited in the streets by 24,214 horses multiplied by 30 pounds equal to 726,420 pounds or 324 tons 500 weight 100 pounds weekly weight 2,270 tons 100 weight 28 pounds annual weight 118,043 tons 500 weight tons or cartloads deposited annually valued at six shillings multiplied by a hundred and eighteen thousand and forty three equals thirty five thousand four hundred and twelve pounds nineteen shillings and sixpence it has then been here shown that assuming the number of horses worked daily in the streets of london to be twenty thousand and each to be out six hours per diem which it appears to me is all that can be fairly reckoned the quantity of horse dung dropped weekly is about 700 tons, so that, including the horses of the cavalry regiments in London, which of course are not comprised in the stamp office returns, as well as the animals taken to Smithfield, we may perhaps assert that the animal order let fall in the London streets amounts at the outside to somewhere about 1,000 tons weekly, or 52,000 tons per annum. The next question becomes, what is done with this vast amount of filth? The Board of Health is a much better guide upon this point than upon the matter of quantity. Quote, much of the horse dung dropped in the London streets, under ordinary circumstances, 
we are told, dries and is pulverised, and with the common soil is carried into houses as dust, and dirties clothes and furniture. The odour arising from the surface evaporation of the streets, when they are wet, is chiefly from horse dung. Susceptible persons often feel this evaporation, after partial wetting, to be highly oppressive. The surface water discharged into sewers from the streets and roofs of houses is found to contain as much filth as the soil water from the house drains. Here, then, we perceive that the whole of the animal manure let fall in the streets is worse than wasted, and yet we are assured that it is an article which, if properly collected, is of considerable value. It is, says the report of the National Philanthropic Association, an article of agricultural and horticultural commerce which has ever maintained a high value with the farmers and market gardeners, wherever conveniently obtainable. When these cattle droppings can be collected unmixed in dry weather, they bear an acknowledged value by the grazier and root grower, there being no other kind of manure which fertilises the land so bounteously. Mr. Marnock, curator of the Royal Botanical Society, has valued them at from five shillings to ten shillings per load, according to the season of the year. The United Paving Board of St. Giles and St. George, since the introduction of the street orderly system into their parishes, has wisely had it collected in a state separate from all admixture, and sold it at highly remunerative prices, rendering it the means of considerably lessening the expense of cleansing the streets. Now, assuming the value of the street-dropped manure to be six shillings per ton when collected free from dirt, we have the following statement as to the value of the horse and cattle voidances let fall in the streets of London. 52,000 tonnes of cattle droppings at six shillings per ton, £15,600. Mr. Cochrane, who considers the quantity of animal droppings to be much greater, attaches, of course, a greater value to the aggregate quantity. His computation is as follows. 118,043 tonnes of cattle droppings at six shillings per ton, £35,412, 19 shillings and sixpence. It seems to me that the calculations of the quantity of horse and cattle dung in the streets are based on such well-authenticated and scientific foundations that their accuracy can hardly be disputed, unless it be that a higher average may fairly be shown. Whatever estimate be adopted, the worth of street-dropped animal manure, if properly secured and made properly disposable, is great and indisputable. Most assuredly, between £10,000 and £20,000 in value. End of section 36